Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports podcast. Special guest this week, colleague of mine from ESPN, Jane McManus, who's been a leading voice on domestic violence in the NFL. We'll get into the whole Josh Brown situation with the Giants and the league in a minute. First, a word from elite team fans. You can now wrap yourself in your favorite team blanket. Whether it's NFL or college, elite team blankets are perfect for your man cave. They're made right here in the USA. They're actually two blankets sewn into one. With technology that will keep you comfortable in any temperature, machine washable, softer with every wash, 100% made in the USA. You've never quite felt a blanket like this. Feel for yourself. Shop EliteTeam.com. Save 10% with promo code TUCKER, all caps, T-U-C-K-E-R. Get wrapped in your game day ritual. Elite Team, the official blanket of pure fandomonium. Enter promo code TUCKER to save 10% at EliteTeam.com. Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome back to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Special guest, special topic is everybody's talking about the New York Giants and their kicker, or at least their kicker for now, as we record on Monday the 24th, is Josh Brown, who's had some issues that we'll talk about, more information coming out, domestic violence. And special guest to talk about it with me, we talked about this now for two years, Jane McManus, columnist and reporter for ESPNW, a real voice that I want to get in on this topic. And Jane, it feels like 2014 to me that we've got this team and league, well, team did no discipline, league some minor discipline, for a long time and then things come out and there's a big change and there's a firestorm and we're in the middle of it. Does it feel like that to you regarding Josh Brown and comparing him to Ray Rice, at least the situations from two years ago? I think there's a, there's a big point of commonality and that is a short, insubstantial discipline to start two games with Ray Rice and then one game with Josh Brown. Uh, And then Additional information, which could have been anticipated, I think, in both situations. With Ray Rice, it was the interior elevator video, uh, something which uh, Ray certainly said he told the NFL front office about when he discussed this with them. Uh, And then with Josh Brown, you have a written um, statement, a journal where he admits abusing his wife and other women, and uh, something I think that also probably could have been anticipated from the police documents and from Josh's own statements to John Mara. You have John Mara going on radio, and I, you know, I, I applaud him for being honest on this because it probably would have been a lot easier just to obfuscate and say you didn't know. But Mara, the owner of the Giants, uh, went on a local radio station and said that they knew that Josh was an abuser; they just didn't know the extent. Right. Uh, which I think gives you the information that you need in order to make that comparison between Rice and Brown here. And uh, again, you have the same sort of issues. Did, did the Giants really not see this as a problem? Did they identify so much with Brown in this case that they were overlooking the fact that there would be an injured party here? Um, and that, uh, you know, that they were by sympathizing and relating solely 
to Josh Brown, ignoring the larger issue, which is domestic violence, which is the societal issue, which is that there are other people who have been injured um, and harmed in these cases. And I think, you know, uh, in some ways that discussion is very similar to what we were talking about in 2014. Yeah, and again, like 2014, there was support for Rice throughout. Before we got to the second video, we had a press conference with the Ravens logo with Janae and Ray up there. We had the uh, Ravens executives attending the meeting with Roger Goodell, which is a story in itself. Obviously, Janae was at that meeting as well. But let's fast forward to this year. I guess two questions on the Mara support and the Giants support. One, having been in those rooms myself with with front office discussions, do you think there was really a discussion about uh, at least coming from coaching or management saying, hey, you know, we can't get a kicker like this. We need him. We got to hold on here. We can't trust any kicker besides Josh Brown. Do you think it went that way? And I guess my second part is, John Mara, if you look charitably at this, can appear supportive, okay? Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, appearing supportive. But we expect that Josh Brown will not be a giant much longer. And I guess, in a weird way, you wonder why he wouldn't commit to the courage of his convictions and and keep that support rather than running away when the heat gets high as it is right now. Well, I think the answer to the second question is that uh, they made a mistake and they now see clearly their mistake. And I think that 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 clarity was not there uh, for a number of reasons beforehand in the Giants organization. Um, I don't think that it was a question of competitive uh, need in this case. I mean, kickers are valuable, right? They're valuable when you need them. One of those, one of those positions, right? You don't, you don't really value the kicker until you need him uh, to get the automatic field goal or uh, extra point. No one appreciates but, kickers until they need them, just like lawyers. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. Okay. There you go. You can relate. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that I think that was the case, but I do think it was kind of like one of these points of principle where they felt like they wanted to stand up for him, and they, uh, they were. I, I think that they were able to discard. Molly Brown pretty quickly and support Josh Brown. And part of that might've been because they saw that he was working to do, uh, to do a lot to kind of overcome the situation, you know, it may have had to do with the abuse in his background. Again, not excuses. I'm just trying to understand the situation and how it kind of unfolds a little bit better. So I think that the giants here and Mayor has been somebody who's been pretty forward thinking on these issues and certainly came out pretty strongly in 2014 in, in support of the new code of conduct policy. But, right. but here making a critical error that I think happens in a lot of, you know, which is actually kind of instructive, right? If you look at it for outside looking in that when you have a situation where there's abuse and you have somebody that, you know, well, that person may seem, like a good person to you, right? That they may be kind to you. You may see them in the best light. And sometimes abusers are only abusive and horrible to the people that they're abusing and that they can seem on the outside to other people like the quote unquote good guy or good person, whether it's a, a man or a woman who's perpetuating this, these acts of violence. And I think right. that might've been kind of what happened is that they weren't able to step outside their own perspective and say, okay, really? 
we need to take a look at what was in that police report, which they had access to, see that Molly Brown had said perhaps 20, 20 times that this had happened before. You know, see that there are red flags about other cases that might be out there in family court or in other district jurisdictions that may also have had to do with these incidents of family violence and domestic violence committed by Josh Brown. And instead, they were very they were able to overlook it very conveniently. And so was the league. And it, it just um, seems a little bit baffling that they wouldn't have either waited longer. Maybe they could have waited for this. The reason these documents came out was because Washington state closed the case that they were looking at. And then these documents became available. You know, this is only two months after uh, the initial August suspension came down of one game. You right. know, perhaps you put Josh Brown on the commissioner's exemplist and wait for that case to close before you make this sort of decision, because in retrospect, it looks uh, like the same mistake again. It does. And I guess I'm going to transition to questions about the league, but the final question about the team. And again, I want to emphasize the team applied zero discipline. It's the league that applied insufficient discipline, but it was discipline. Did what's curious about what you said is they learned and, even with, with uh, given the benefit of the doubt, they didn't know anything about what's recently come out in Washington. You've talked about, we've talked about this Pro Bowl incident. Uh, they right. knew that. They knew other things. I mean, I guess with John Mayer being such a close confidant of Roger Goodell and such a league thinker, how does this happen with all the emphasis on domestic violence the past couple of years? Uh, the, the answer to that is I, I don't know. And I made a lot of calls when that one-game suspension came out. And the question that I had was, if you're saying something is domestic violence, how is one game even an option? Because in 2014, they'd set a six-game right. uh, baseline, right? <laughs> Aggravating or mitigating factors. But there there are... I was trying to, I was like, what are the mitigating factors then in this case? What could they possibly be to mitigate five sixths of a suspension uh, like this? I mean, I was, it was going through my head. I was trying to think what, what could possibly, like even in my imagination, just trying to imagine what those mitigating factors might be in a case of domestic violence. And I could not come up with anything that made sense to me. Yeah. And the question is, you, and I've lived this, and you've, you've covered it as much as anyone. Two years ago, the NFL sprung to action, right? Lisa Friel, former sex head of sex crimes prosecution for the New York District Attorney's Office. Cynthia Hogan, one of the drafters of the Violence Against Women Act, both hired in very senior positions, domestic violence consultants. Right. How? <laughs> We thought we got this fixed, I guess is my point. And, well, and Todd Jones, head of the ATF. And Todd Jones. You know? yeah. And not only have we not, uh, now you have information that they have applied the six games, and you can speak to that, but we have not seen the commissioner exemplist until right now. And it just, it sort of draws the reaction from the public, which is not uh, an overreaction, that all that was done for PR. Right. I, I don't, you know, I don't think it was done just for PR. Sure. I do believe that the league has been sincere. And, and, and this, of course, undermines a lot of that sincere and very diligent work when it comes to education. And, you know, each of these teams now has to go through sometimes very intensely personal discussions about, you know, what is 
domestic violence? What is consent? What do you do if you see something or you suspect something or someone is talking in a way that you think is inappropriate? You know, just there are lots of conversations now about what is your responsibility as a human being to people who you might feel are in harm's way. And that's new. That's all new. And that is, I think, very sincere and supported work that the NFL is doing. And then you have something that makes them look like they don't really care and that it is PR. And then, and that of course undermines it. So the six game suspension and the NFL has, well, I've discussed this with some folks at the NFL and they don't agree with my numbers hundred percent, but I feel pretty comfortable with them anyway. Um, But it's been the six game suspension. You can't argue has been applied three times. Uh, Once to an assistant coach who doesn't have the benefit of an appeal because they don't have a union and then two times to players and not within the last year. And they, you know, Quincy Nunwa was a wide receiver for the Jets, was given four games. And what, what the league says is that, well, you know, his incident happened only three days after the new code of conduct policy went into effect. And we hadn't, maybe we hadn't been able to notify him. Hmm. And, and my response to that is if, if there was a player in the league who didn't know about the new code of conduct policy right. after all the publicity and discussion that it was getting in 2014, that is hard for me to believe, frankly, really hard for me to believe. Um, and then there are other, you know, there are other situations. Um, but the, but the fact of the matter is, and no one can argue this, there have been mitigating circumstances applied to that six game suspension. There has never been an aggravating factor hmm. applied to it, despite, despite situations that might cause for aggravating factors like a gun. Um, that has never caused a suspension to go up. So, you could say, yeah, well, you know, that we have this baseline and, it, and we allow for mitigating and for aggravating. But, okay, so why is it only one way then? Why are only the mitigating factors having, a, having an effect on the baseline? Right. And, and that is something that, that can't be answered, really. I've asked a number of people about it. And I think that they have, uh, you know, they're taking some things into account. Like, for example, uh, this is a workplace investigation, right? These investigations that the NFL conducts once something happens, right? Like, right. for example, uh, Johnny Manziel's traffic stop a year ago. Right. Uh, three people called 911, if you read the police report in that, uh, because, because they were afraid that someone was in danger, right? Like, you're driving down the highway and someone calls 911. Generally, um, that's because of they see something. Right. And, and, it, and if three people call 911, you, you think there might be... Uh, it might have been pretty obvious that there was something wrong, right? So, but despite this, uh, the NFL looked into it. They couldn't get the cooperation from any of the the folks involved, and they didn't even that didn't even rise to the level of a violation of the code of conduct policy. Um, yeah, they cleared him. They cleared him. So a lot of these, you could say, not only you know are, are some of these cases not getting heavy suspensions or baseline suspension, but some of them aren't even. Uh, they're not even getting the evidence to call it a violation. And then in Manziel's case, the same woman who was riding in the car with him when those three people called 911 was later, uh, you know, in a case that has yet to be adjudicated, but was later uh, claimed that she was deafened in hmm. one ear temporarily by by a blow to the head. So, so this is, you know, these things are not without uh, very real consequences. They're not without um, things happening down the line. As a result of this, right? You could say, well, if 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 they'd been able to do something with Manziel early on, 
you know, maybe this cascade of other events wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and I think what's what the other part besides hiring a lot of new people in senior positions and the new emphasis and the new policy is the investigative reach that they were called on the carpet two years ago by the Rice matter, by Judge Jones, who had the Rice appeal, for kind of a slipshod, lax investigation. So what happened? A beefed-up investigation, security, and all that. But here we are, and you and I talked about this on, on air the other day. You have, with this sheriff from King County in Washington, we're just shocking revelation that some guy on a Comcast uh internet email sort of says, I want to know about the Josh Brown case and does not identify himself as the NFL. That is a bad look. And again, I know Natalie Ravitz has tweeted out all the, all the investigative stuff that they did regarding this, but to have that come out again, not a good look for what was supposed to be beefed up in light of the rice. Yeah. And, uh, I have a, a lot of respect for the people who've been hired and for the job that they do and how thorough they are. So I find it very difficult to square right. some of the revelations that have come out about the way that this was conducted. So I'm not I'm not without some sympathy and understanding for the difficulty of the position that an NFL investigator is in, right? Because they don't have the power of subpoena. They can't compel anyone right. to talk to them except except for the employee. And so if the employee is the only person that's talking to you, what what version of the story are you going to get? Well, you're going to get the one that is, that is, puts that employee in the best light. I mean, just it's human nature. And I'm not even saying as, as in any sort of, you know, malevolent way or that they're lying or anything else. You're always, when you're talking to somebody about what happened to you, you're going to show yourself in the best light. You're going to put yourself in the best light, especially when your livelihood depends on it. Right. The future of your career depends on it. So, so I, I understand that. But then to say that, and in, this is what happened in the Brown case, is that they said the inability to get Molly Brown to, to cooperate right. with the NFL was, was a mitigating factor in lessening that suspension. Well, that to me goes against everything that they really should have learned in the last two years, which right. is, there are a lot of reasons why, why alleged victims in these cases, men and women, don't come forward. And one, number one is fear of retaliation. Right. And, and that is a very real thing. And, and whether that retaliation is, is physically, you know, I mean, there are unfortunately many, many, many cases of men and women in abusive relationships who tried to leave a relationship. And then that is when the worst thing happens. Some, there is, there is lethality in some of these situations. Men and women are killed each year by abusive partners because they tried to leave or because they did something that then further angered that abusive partner. So, so the, the idea that she didn't come forward and that that just means nothing happened, that completely overlooks this whole minefield of problems that a, that a victim, an alleged victim in these cases faces. Yeah, um, the same reaction to your, you know, the NFL, again, to recap, this came out in August, the one-game suspension, and because of the firestorm then, which doesn't even compare to the firestorm now, the NFL felt compelled to issue a public statement talking about we couldn't interview uh, Molly, we couldn't interview the ex-wife. And my thought is what you said. Didn't these experts they hired two years ago tell them the first thing they should learn is that there's non-cooperation for all the reasons you identified? So again, that right. seemed hollow, and now we don't have any statement from the league. Uh, is your expectation 
and I know you're going to you're going to follow up with the Giants today. Is your expectation that Josh Brown is on this commissioner exempt list, paid by the way, for longer than this bye week, uh, or do you think they will cut ties? I think it'll be longer than the bye week, but okay. perhaps not much longer. I think there there are only two ways that the league can massage this at this point, right? They 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 made their determination and they issued their suspension, just like with Ray Rice. You can't go back on that. Ray right. Rice litigated that in court, and he won. So you can't double jeopardy somebody in a workplace investigation. It's, it's the same general principle that, that exists in, in the legal system. Even though I'm not a lawyer, you are. You can right. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Right. right. It's the double jeopardy version, right? Right. Exactly. So, so the only thing they can do is they can – one of two ways that they could add an additional suspension or additional punishment without being in trouble with – arbitration or legally. And that is, and number one would be if, if Josh Brown lied. Now, my understanding is that that is not the case, just like with Ray Rice. Mm-hmm. If Josh Brown was forthright. He told him about the Pro Bowl incident. So at the very least, you have, you have Merritt's statement saying, we knew he was an abuser, we just didn't know the extent. And you also have them knowing that there was more than one incident. So that should have been sufficient in either case for them to issue a higher suspension first time around, if that was if, if that's what they're going to say the problem was, right? Um, and then the second is if there are, if some new fact comes out, right? So if there's a, if there's a, was a incident of abuse in a different jurisdiction, or if there was a, something that, that new, that popped up within the last three months that they didn't know about, then that could be uh, a, a, another way that they go back on this and give him some sort of additional punishment. But I don't expect that to happen. I, I mean, I would expect what happened with Ray Rice is that he's on the commissioner's exempt list for some amount of time. Um, he will get uh, cu- either cut or taken off that, or, or uh, I imagine he'll be cut, and I don't think he'll mm-hmm. be picked up by another team. Right. And then you have the same situation with Rice, which was is you have uh, you have someone without an ability to get a second chance, and and not everybody deserves a second chance, and there are not there are people that are not going to be very sympathetic to that, and that's fine. But the NFL shouldn't be in the business of discarding people who actually want to change. And, and you know, Greg Hardy got a second chance, and a lot of people would say he showed no inclination to change. Ray Rice and Josh Brown, at least uh, in, in the information that we have, and, and, um, and I've had discussions with Ray Rice about this, so I, I feel fairly comfortable saying that, that there have been steps taken to try to change behavior and understand some behaviors. And, and that's what you want in someone. I mean, you, you know, these... The men who are in these cases and the women who are in these cases, they, they go on to have lives, right? They, ha- they have families. You know, you want them to right. succeed in life, right? And especially at the NFL with these, you know, the, the football is family ad. You want somebody to be invested in that person moving beyond these issues. Right. You really do. Um, and that, that doesn't mean they have to be doing it in a uniform on a football field. But at the same time, you would hope that that would happen. And I just feel like these these low ball suspensions, this um, incomplete way of doing these investigations, not only does it make the NFL look foolish, but it actually ends up keeping these players from getting a true second chance uh, long term. Yeah, and I guess the the ominous perception here, and I'm not saying this is happening, but with these almost seem like favors too strong a word, but doing right by a confidant close friend of the commissioner in, in John Mara and a confidant in Steve Bashotti two years ago. It just seems like, why is this happening? Uh, you know, it just seems like the information 
would warrant more than what's being done. And you don't want to accuse anyone of that, but it, it just almost, and the slipshod nature of the Rice investigation, and that may happen here as well, it's like, why is this happening? Why, is, why doesn't the NFL go the other way and let the union appeal, which it always does, and, and we get to right. it that way? I, that, that is the, if you can get an honest answer to that question, Andrew, that, yeah. I think that, <laughs> Good luck that with tells that. us exactly right. what we need to know. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't like to think that it is, is really that much glad handing going on about, about such serious issues. Um, you know, if they want to do that about stadium deals or about, you know, merchandise or whatever, um, I don't, I guess, you know, that's one thing, but if you're really doing that about, code of conduct violations and potential domestic violence. That's, that's terrible. Um, but, uh, I, I, so I I have a hard time believing that that's what happened. I I do, you know, I, again, I do believe that there are, you know, when you're around somebody every day, you do these sympathies develop and, and that's why you need, uh, and that's why I thought that the idea of this investigative group and, and having an NFL group that paid attention to these issues so that they could look at someone and say, you know, you're a little too close. Right. You're a little too close to this person. You're a little too close to this situation. You're, you know, you're wanting a one-game suspension is, is way off, and, and we just need to say this is hitting the minimum and give them the baseline. And I agree. I, I don't know why that happened. I think that there was a certain amount of public confidence in the idea of a baseline. And the, I, the, the fact that it's been uh, eroded, I think, in the last two years is, is troubling. And, 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 for, and for what? For what? I mean, you right. have for what? you have DUI that gets you know four game minimum. It's it's the union and the league have agreed to this. Nobody argues it, and and I think everybody feels okay about it. You don't have every time a player gets a DUI, people outraged and talking about the problem of drunk driving in the NFL. You don't because you've dealt with it. You've you've come up with something that you feel is fair. You issue it and it's done. Uh, the fact that this is somehow some sort of sliding scale that can go from one game to six games for a first-time offense, uh, I think does not promote confidence in the league and the way they're dealing with it. Yeah, and I guess final question is moving from the, the management, the league side, to the player union side. I think it's going to be interesting that if it plays out like we expect it will, will there be similar fight from the union about Josh Brown? One one thing that's kind of buried in all this is that the union fought his one-game suspension with an appeal that was, of course, denied. Uh, but will they come out fighting if, say, there's another indefinite suspension? If, say, he's cut? Like, again, people don't remember, Rice did sue the Ravens, and that was settled. And then, of course, he sued the league and overturned suspension. But you know, as you talked about, whether there's new information or not, can it be called new information and I guess my, my real question here is, will the union take this on when you have players? I've seen Steve Smith, I've seen Tory Smith and others saying really negative things about this abuser and that we can't stand for that and how little punishment and all those kind of things. That'll be an interesting one to watch. I think there's no question the union is going to, first of all, within the next couple of hours, uh, or a day or two, certainly, they have three days from the time that the announcement is made that Brown's on the commissioner's exempt list, right? So right. four o'clock Friday. So they have three days from that deadline to appeal his right. placement. I think there's no question that they're going to do that. Uh, they re- announced, they released a statement um, after the placement was announced that said, we have three days 
<laughs> you know, basically like putting people right. on notice. I think that that's what they plan to do. Sure. I have no doubt that they will fight the commissioner on this. Any anything that that happens on it, I don't think they're going to cooperate in any regard. Uh, despite the fact that you have players who who may feel one way or another about it, the the NFL Players Association sees its role as uh, defending Aaron Hernandez, even you know, right. to get his to get the money that he was owed by the Patriots after when he was on trial for murder. So I, I don't see why this case would be any different necessarily. The 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 fact of the matter is, this needs to be collectively bargained in order for it to actually have a six game minimum. Um, and I don't know if that's going to happen, but but Roger Goodell is enough of a bad guy when it comes to these conduct issues in the eyes of the PA that I don't see. Um, I don't see them working together on it. I, I think the ultimate goal for the union in this is to have Goodell not be the final arbiter of whatever right. the punishment's going to be. So to think that they could come together and say, uh, you know, we have evidence that Josh Brown did a terrible, terrible thing. Let's work together to get people who do terrible things uh, punished properly and then decide together, you know, what, what our move is going forward. I don't see that happening, but that would be the right thing to do. Yeah, and as we know, this new conduct policy that we've been talking about is the six-game minimum was done without the union being involved. There was there was minimal input from the union, but basically they were ignored in setting up this policy. Well, and now I think that, unfortunately, I think that the big picture uh, takeaway from this is that that six-game minimum has now been legally undermined. So because you knew that someone was an abuser quite possibly and gave them a one game suspension, you have now lowered Mm -hmm. your baseline effectively because any player then who's suspended for more than that could argue, well, in Josh Brown's situation, you had ample notice that this was happening and you gave them one game. So what in my case, what are the aggravating factors from the one game suspension in my case? And you may have this perverse thing going on if there's an appeal where you had Ray Rice basically in his appeal testimony saying, oh, yeah, I told everyone I hit her, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which actually helps his case. And you may have Josh Brown say, oh, yeah, and everybody knew. Everybody knew. (laughs) That's what's perverse about this. It is. It is. And I think the NFL in 2014 started off on the right foot yeah. and they've gone off the rails in the way that they're um, doing this. It's now, it's now completely inconsistent. And I think that there are, I mean, obviously I am no, I have no, I'm not somebody who um, has a lot of sympathy for people who commit that acts of abuse like this or think that they shouldn't be punished. But if I were an attorney for one of them, mm-hmm. I would certainly feel like I had ample reason to argue down their suspensions and, and, feel pretty comfortable finding holes in the league's reasoning over the last two years that would be beneficial to my client. In the words of Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again. (laughs) It is. Thanks so much, Jane. You're a great voice to have on this. And we've talked about this off air, off podcast and on air now on podcast. Jane McManus, contributor, columnist, voice, ESPNW. Thanks for being with us on the business of sports. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Love your work. 
Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.